You're listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl. Hi, Kara. And uh, this is uh, episode um, number, let's try to remember, 13. Lucky number 13. Um, and this week, uh, I have no guest, so it's going to be all me for the whole episode. Uh, I had a few things scheduled, but they all got, had to get, uh, kind of pushed back. So, um, so I know I'm, uh, doing an idea that I had anyways for this month. So I guess it was, it was meant to happen. Um, you know, in honor of Halloween, which is just around the corner, um, I wanted to do an episode about the universal horror movies. And uh, we'll get into uh, all of why I am covering it and tell the story of how I first found out about the Universal movies and everything. But uh, yeah, that's what we're going to do for this episode. And then next week uh, will be uh, my episode about Nightmare on Elm Street series with my friend uh, Mike Purdy. So he and I are gonna be going through this series and talking about it, and I uh, I decided to save that one for the the Halloween episode this year. So yeah, so we're gonna close out October appropriately with some uh, some horror themed horror themed episodes. Sorry about that. Um, but before we get into talking about that, I guess what we'll do is I'm going to go ahead and uh, give a shout out to the other fellow horsemen of the podcast, Apocalypse. On uh, Mondays, we got Horror Wolf 666, Brandon Legion. And uh, Brandon does uh, primarily like, interviews with uh, people in the horror industry as well as um, uh top 10 list as well like the one that he did with me that we did about uh ghosts and haunted house movies or the one that he did with uh jackie smith of into the necrosphere about um about 80s movies speaking of into the necrosphere that is what comes out on tuesdays uh with your host uh jackie smith um and it is the uh the best uh, metal podcast that I'm aware of. It's the only one that I listen to, so definitely recommend. Uh, Wednesdays, we got Everything Went Black with Mike Hill of the bands Tombs and Scorpion Throne. And uh, Everything Went Black is his free form and everything goes kind of podcast, which is great. Uh, and then Thursday nights, we got Thursdays, I mean, we got the uh, Necromaniacs. Um, also with Mike Hill, as well as Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid. And, uh, you know, they cover all kinds of uh, horror movies, new and old. So it's a great uh, podcast. It's pretty much one of my favorites. And uh, it's one of my favorites out of the group. Uh, but they're all, I love all, all these podcasts. And, um, then we got on uh, um, intermittent times, we got uh, Iblis Manifestations of Cheyenne from the band Trivax, which is primarily uh, interviews done with various people, primarily within the black metal uh, world. And uh, 
occasionally some solo episodes as well that he does. And, uh, yeah, I had Cheyenne on the podcast a few episodes ago. Um, and, of course, Mike Hill has been on a few, and he's going to be on one in the near future for the Eldritch Tales. And uh, Jackie Smith should be on one in the near future as well. And uh, so that's what's going on. So seeing as how this is just a uh, straight up, you know, episode, I figure, uh, you know, I'm just talking. Um, You know, usually I play a song before the chat and then do one at the end. We'll just do one at the end this week. Um, So, like I said at the top, this week's episode is going to be about universal horror movies. Which are uh, one of the things that I pretty much watch every Halloween. I watch at least, maybe not all of them, obviously. Um, But I try to watch as many as I can. Um, And uh, I have done since I was a child. And part of that is um, because the uh, Universal Horror movies were pretty much the first. They were my introduction to horror. And how that happened was... um, when I was a kid, uh, when we first got a uh, VHS player, I think the first VHS we had was Fantasia. I think that was partly because um, I was a very obsessed with classical music. I, I had mentioned this to uh, Ralph last last week. Um, and I would listen to the classical station, uh, the public radio station all the time, which I still do. I still, it's pretty much playing my car most of the time. Um, and, uh, was really into that, and, you know, I had heard, uh, I watched, um, Fantasia, and at the end of Fantasia, you have the uh, Night on Bald Mountain section, which, uh, I would play over and over and over again, I was obsessed with, and we had, like, a little keyboard, and I would try to play, like, uh, stuff that sounded like that, and also what happened, I also heard the... Bach, uh, Fugue, and D, or whatever, that, you know, and, uh, hearing that, I was trying to, like, replicate that, and, you know, I started drawing, like, all the things from Fantasia, like, Chernobog, which, of course, Chernobog was modeled by, uh, by, um, Bela Lugosi, so, it ties into what happened next, which was, uh, I think my dad figured out that I really like this kind of stuff, and he was a big, he's a big horror fan, he was a big horror fan, and, um, like, loved horror, and loved spooky shit, and all that kind of stuff, you know, he's really into it, um, he was just, in some ways, just a few steps away from being a goth, he just didn't dress like that, you know, and, uh, so, the first, um, I think we'd gotten Fantasia for free, or something, I don't remember how we got that, but, Maybe, or maybe it was the first one he bought. I don't know. I was a kid. But I know that the, uh, after that, the, uh, the first one that we got was a two-pack that had Dracula and uh, Frankenstein. It was a two-pack VHS. And this was right when, I think, the Universal Horror Movies, I don't, I mean, I think they had just hit VHS because um, they were doing a huge, like, I remember, like, they were doing a huge, uh, campaign advertising campaign for universal at that time in the early 90s and um 
including like lots of tie-ins with I think it was like Doritos or some shit and you know like Pepsi stuff. Um, but I just remember uh, seeing all the cutouts, cardboard cutouts of all the Universal monsters and all these different stores alongside um, Elvira. So it was like Elvira and Universal Horror Monsters was like everywhere though in those early 90s uh, for Halloween. And um, yeah, we got the uh, the Dracula and Frankenstein VHS tapes. And that was my introduction to the Universal Horror and to horror as a whole. And I remember watching Dracula and um, being obsessed pretty much instantly. Uh, that first year after I saw Dracula was the first year I went trick-or-treating. And of course, I dressed up as Dracula because Bela Lugosi was like my hero or something, which I still feel sometimes when I watch movies today, like I watch Dracula, which I actually just did before starting to record this. And it's like, yeah, there's Dracula, like, you know, Bela Lugosi, like, yeah, you know, little icon for me still. I guess kind of like how Dave Vanian was. Uh, definitely uh, probably modeled a lot of how I dress and, you know, all those kinds of stuff as well. So there's that. But um, <clears throat> then after that, I do believe we started getting uh, the rest of the VHSs so I saw. The Mummy, I think, was probably the next one, and Wolfman, um, because I know uh, The Mummy was my dad's favorite, I believe, but we also got uh, Brides of Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, sorry. Um, the uh, the only ones that I didn't really get into was uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon and The Invisible Man. It might be partially because my dad wasn't a big fan of them, but I do think we rented them, at least we didn't own them. Um... So, I mean, I remember seeing them, but... And, of course, I also remember seeing Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, the immortal classic, which I haven't seen since I was a kid, so I should probably revisit that sometime. Um, so, yeah, basically... Uh, it's basically, for me, every, every uh, October, I pull out my Universal Horror movies and watch some of them, and uh, the other one I watched since I was a kid was House on Haunted Hill, which was another one we got on VHS back then that we literally have been watching every Halloween since I was, like, what, four or five years old. So, you know, you, sometimes you just have to carry on these traditions, right? Um, watching House on Haunted Hill or the Universal movies, like, that's what gets me feeling like, yeah, that's Halloween. Like, you need to be watching these movies to properly feel like it's Halloween. And, uh, you know, there's some other movies that make you feel that way, but I think for me, really, the Universal movies and uh, House on Haunted Hill are some of the big ones that really get me into that that mode. Um, or once I pop those on, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's Halloween now. Um, which is how I felt today uh, watching Dracula. And uh, so I figured I'd get into talking a little bit about the Universal movies, not just sharing my personal story, but actually also talk about them. Um, so the, uh, I believe that the um, origin of uh, the whole thing was uh, the, the um, stage play, which starred Bill Lugosi in the United States. And 
I know that I don't know all the history of everything, obviously, but I do know that originally they didn't want him to be because he didn't speak English that well. But eventually he did win out, became Dracula for the movie. The movie was made in uh, what was it? Um, nineteen. Let's see, nineteen thirty-one. That's right, and um. The uh, basically about ten years after the very first um, adaptation of Dracula, which was unofficial, which was the Nosferatu, made by uh, uh, Murnau, starring Max Schreck, which is another one of my favorite movies, which I need to watch as well for it is Halloween. Um, and that I think that you can see that the creators of the movie. Uh, of the uh, Universal Dracula had obviously seen Nosferatu. And that might be partially also because the cinematographer of uh, Dracula, I believe, was a uh, German um, a filmmaker who, uh, um, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head, but he uh, he had our, worked in those same fields as they did where, with Nosferatu and everything. And it uh, was obviously... Uh, influenced by those things uh, brought that into it um, and I believe the cinematographer of Dracula went on to make uh, The Black Cat I believe with Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff which is an amazing movie one of my favorites of the Universal Wars so yeah Dracula was directed by Todd Browning um, and it was I think um, it was a revolutionary movie for the time um, believe before this movie in Hollywood there had not been really any supernatural out now supernatural horror movies pretty much everything was about a human or even when it seemed like it was a vampire like Marcus vampire not, no no sorry London after midnight um Vaughn Chaney it turned out oh he's not really a vampire so this was the first like out and out supernatural horror movie to come out of Hollywood and um I like, it's one thing that I know that a lot of people don't like about it is the fact that it doesn't have a soundtrack that is pretty much silent throughout except for the beginning and one section where they're at an opera. But I actually really like that. I feel like it adds to the kind of eerie feeling of the movie. That's something that you really, I mean, you almost never see anymore, a movie without a score at all. But I think it adds to the atmosphere of this one. Um... I think there's something really hypnotic and beautiful about the way that Dracula is filmed. And uh, something I really noticed watching it tonight is the way that the the shots are pretty, you know, they're relatively static. There are a lot of moments where the, the camera is moving quite a bit, but a lot of times it's more static. But the way that the shots are um, arranged are like really, you know, picked beautiful and almost like a painting or something like this, you know? And for me, I just really love the way that it looks, the way the shots are framed, uh, the way the, the, um, the figures are arranged on the, on the screen. Um, and the kind of, it has like a steady pacing, um, that really effectively kind of condenses a lot of stuff down from the novel into a very concise uh, format of an hour. And uh, it does it sometimes through um, 
something that some people don't like, which is somebody saying like, oh, this happened, you know, off screen. Uh, like, for example, um, the whole thing of Mina drinking Dracula's blood, you know, rather than showing you that scene like a lot of movies would do, they have it described. Um, and that's probably partially because, you know, in 1931, um, they're not showing that. I mean, they don't show Dracula drinking blood at all in the movie, period. So they're not going to show Mina drinking an open vein from Dracula's arm. But I think that even with that, it's very effective, you know. Um, the way the whole thing uh, feels and the way that it's um, kind of structured and laid out, I like that. Uh, I think that's part of why I liked, like, Exorcist 3, where a lot of people have a complaint about the fact that a lot of it is, is described through dialogue. For me, personally, I like that. I think it's an effective way um, to do a movie in some ways. Um, I know that it's maybe some people see it as more like, say, a play when you do that kind of stuff as opposed to um, cinema, pure cinema where you see things and that may be true but it's still something that i find can be very effective particularly when it's alongside very good um effective cinema storytelling like it is with dracula in which you know there are these scenes where the dialogue is playing the part but there's also a lot that shows you what you need to know without any words at all because it's still so close to the silent era that you can see the that it's still in many ways a silent film um yeah so i mean i love i love dracula i think it's an amazing movie and um it's one that that no matter how many times i've seen it i get drawn in as soon as i watch it um dracula was followed up by uh um frankenstein I believe was the second one, which came out, I believe, a year later. Let's see. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Knock stuff over. Frankenstein came out. What does it not say? I'd have to look at. Uh, yeah, 1931. Uh. Interesting. So, must have came out later that same year, or 1932. I'd have to look at my phone or something. I was looking at the back of the DVD. It didn't say. Um, but, uh, yep, yeah, so Frankenstein was the next one after Dracula. And Frankenstein, of course, was directed by James Whale, who's an amazing director. Um, probably my favorite movie by James Whale is uh, The Old Dark House, which I think is an amazing movie. Another really good one to watch for Halloween. But uh, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein are two amazing movies by him. Uh, Frankenstein basically, uh, you know, somewhat tells the story of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. It's very loosely based off of Franken uh, the novel. But, uh, you know, it has this whole story of... Of uh, and then this movie instead of Victor is Henry Frankenstein for some reason, and his friends named Victor. I don't understand that, but uh, you know Frankenstein uh, makes the mo uh, the monster played by Boris Karloff, and um, I feel like 
Boris Karloff really brought this to life in the sense that, you know, here he is playing this monster and he makes it a very sympathetic being, kind of pathetic, you know. Uh, and of course it ends with, um, you know, the the villagers with the pitchforks and, and, and uh, the uh, flaming uh, windmill, windmill, you know, at the end. And uh, but I really love again this the cinematography and the the way the shots are framed is really beautiful in this one, and you have a lot of really great like canted angles and things like this in a lot of the scenes. Um, I really love the way that it begins when you have uh, them in like this gothic uh, cemetery with these you know, like angel stones and all this kinds of stuff. It's just so beautiful. And, you know, I mean, the beginning of the movie is like the cemetery. And then you got like, uh, you got them cutting a body off of a gallows. And just really has this like very strong European folklore type of energy going on to this movie, which I love. Um... A lot of people would probably say that Bride of Frankenstein is better. Um, and uh, I might be among that list in some ways. I do think it's a little bit stronger of a movie. Uh, I like Dr. Pretorius. And I like the kind of um, element of the alchem- alchemy that he brings into it where he's creating the homoculus or how you pronounce it. Uh, like the little people in a jar and everything. And I think that that in some ways also is tying into a lot of what Frankenstein itself was based off of because there is the idea. I feel like Frankenstein in the novel is more or less kind of a golem type of figure. Um, and of course it was the, the movies uh, done by Paul Wigner that um, called um, of the golem loosely based off of uh, Gustav Behring's novel, the same name, which I recently read. Uh, they kind of, I think, were very inspired in the creation of uh, of the Frankenstein monster uh, by the Golem, and so yeah, these elements of the kind of uh, uh, alchemical experiments, uh, or maybe pseudo alchemical, these kinds of ideas of creating a homolokai and creating artificial life, like in a jar, kind of, and I think that. There was the idea in The Bride of Frankenstein that whereas in the first one, Frankenstein like stitched together the body and filled it with electricity and brought it back to life. And Praetorius was basically kind of creating an entirely artificial form of life as opposed to stitching dead parts together. And so obviously I think in Bride of Frankenstein, the idea is that their kind of forces combined together are going to create uh, an even greater form of life, which they do for the bride, I guess, is maybe the idea there. But um, I think it's a great movie uh, as well. I think the two of them together is a great double feature. Uh, you know, I mean, the great thing about these Universal movies is they're all about an hour long, hour and ten minutes. You know, it's very easy to watch one or, t- you know, two or three, you know, because, uh, I mean, you can plow in, like, three of these Universal movies and at the same time it takes to watch, like, I don't know, the newest Batman movie or something. So, 
Uh, and um, uh, speaking of which, like there was one day I watched all the Mummy movies in uh, in one day, like just one sitting. Which if we get to the Mummy, which I believe was the uh, maybe the next one to come out, because I believe it did come out in. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what year the Mummy came out. 92 or 32 yep 1932 so the mummy came out in 1932 so pretty pretty quickly after the release of uh dracula and frankenstein which both apparently came out in 1931 so the mummy shows up in 1932 uh i've seen some people try to claim that it has the same plot as dracula which is kind of uh i don't i feel like maybe you're not watching the movies really if you think that because they're not really the same plot at all i think people are getting confused because what happened was that when uh, they did the bram stoker dracula in the 90s they stole a lot of the plot elements from the mummy so i think people are getting the versions of dracula confused if they say that dracula and the mummy have the same plot uh i don't think they're i think they're getting confused because basically the mummy uh, the original movie is, of course, based around the idea of um, these explorers go and they find this uh, tomb of the, I forget what her name is, the the, uh, the princess who um, is protected by, uh, um, I, I believe it is Imhotep in the movie, right? And, and um, it's been a while since I watched it, so I... You know, you get them mixed up. I think it's Imhotep because I think in the other one is it's like Caris or something. So Imhotep is the is a priest who is in love with her. I believe he tried to bring her back to life, and then they they like condemned him to like eternally be there to like protect her or something. But anyways, um, they he gets brought back to life by somebody reading a parchment, and then he comes back, and he's basically trying to find the uh, reincarnation of his lost love in the modern days, and uh, he does so, um, and he's basically going to try to try to bring the uh, um, um, do like this thing to sacrifice her and put her body back into this mummy or something like that. Uh, I think it's a great movie. Um, like one of my favorites of the uh, the Universal movies. I believe it was my my father's favorite. Um, but for me, I wouldn't say it's my favorite per se, but it's up there. It's definitely up there. I think I think Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and the Mummy and the Wolfman are the best. And it's really hard for me to pick amongst those. But I would say that uh, The Mummy is a great one. I really like uh, Boris Karloff as Imhotep. You really get to see him play a more of a character in it in a lot of ways. I don't think it's as fully formed as when he did The Black Cat, where he's like the villain and and um, it's a real like insane kind of character, But uh, which we'll get to in a minute. But The Mummy, I think... Um, you know, you get a good performance out of Boris Karloff. And, uh, I mean, Edward Van Sloan, who played uh, Van Helsing and Dracula, returns in The Mummy to play a very similar part. So I definitely see where people sometimes can see that connection. Uh, 
because yeah, he comes in and but I mean, he's kind of like that in all of them, I think. You know, he's like the uh that character in Frankenstein as well, you know. He was just like the the resident uh a character for that that kind of uh Van Helsing-ish type of type of uh character. Um but I mean, he does it well, so I'm not complaining. Um so yeah, the mummy is great. Um, so then we get into the, I'll finish off with the last of the series, which is the Wolfman. And then we can get into some of the other sequels. Um, what's interesting is that the Wolfman was not the first (coughs) werewolf story in the universal monsters. The first one was actually werewolf of London, which came out in 1935 and werewolf of London um it's a it's a pretty good one and when they did that uh remake of the wolfman with benicio del toro basically it's like his father kind of plays the aspect of um the war where the werewolf of london where he's like this guy who's in uh, africa or something and gets bitten by a wolf boy and then he comes back to london and becomes a wolf werewolf and stuff um it's not it's not too bad of a movie, but when they returned to it in the the forties with um with uh, Lon Chaney Jr. playing uh, Wolfman, uh, Larry Talbot, I think that they um they really did a great story, and this story had um you know was written by uh, what's his name's um. Forget his name. Um, ah, fuck. Well, he was basically intended the story to almost have a kind of um, underlying current of. Uh, um, originally, it was almost had an underlying current based around like how World War Two and and um, these types of ideas. Uh, but basically, the story is you know Larry Talbot comes back to. To, uh, it's like been living in America for a while. Comes back home in in and London, uh, England, and uh, then he gets bitten by uh, Bela Lugosi is a gypsy who turns who's a werewolf, and he bites uh, Lon Chaney Jr. Um, and then uh, Lon Chaney kills kills Mr. Bela, <laughs> and uh, and then he comes back. Uh, then um, Lon Chaney becomes a van- uh, werewolf, and um, and then his father, played by Claude Rains, ends up having to kill him in the end. Uh, it's a very tragic story, I think. Uh, I think if there is one complaint is that um, is that when you first meet Larry, uh, he's kind of kind of a weird character. He's a little pervy, uh, kind of an ass. But you do, and I do feel bad for him in the end. It's not like he like went out of his way uh, to become a werewolf, and I think that that set up in the motion one of the kind of underlying like kind of things with in a lot of werewolf movies. Like when you look at like the American Werewolf in London, for example, in the eighties, you get this kind of same thing of like the werewolf as like a curse uh, that's that struck somebody and. And um, a kind of tragic death and all this kinds of stuff. 
So I think that it was a really important movie, and I mean, to this day, it's probably one of the the best werewolf movies that's ever come out, you know. And uh, there's not really, like, a huge amount of great werewolf movies anyways, but it's one of the best. <coughs> um. So, yeah, we'll go. Th- let's go through some of the, the sequels. Let's see. We got... Uh, Dracula's Daughter, which came out in 1936, which was a great one. Um, Dracula's Daughter kind of picks up where Dracula left off, but uh, it kind of shows some aspects of it I don't quite understand. Like, I guess she was made a vampire by Dracula. She comes and she burns his body. Um, And uh, she apparently is a little, there's like a very heavy lesbian element to the movie which I guess could be seen as being a, a presentiment of the kind of lesbian vampire movies we got later on in the 60s and 70s, like uh, all the Carmilla movies by uh, Dra- uh, Hammer or the Jean Roland movies, um, things like that. Uh, I feel like there is an element, um, even when you watch like Daughters of Darkness, that almost, in a way, references back to... Uh, daughter um uh, dracula's daughter it's a great movie um i forget what her name is the actress uh, helen something who plays uh the main character but she's great um and then you her like kind of um not sidekick but her like kind of manservant guy who helps her uh they modeled him to look like uh caesar from um the cabin of dr caligari which i think is great uh he the guy who plays him in the movie is really good but yeah it's a cool it's a cool story i i really recommend watching that as well um and uh, there was son of dracula starring lon cheney jr again and he plays alucard uh, (laughs) or the son of dracula and uh this one's pretty interesting it's set in um uh New Orleans, I believe, in that area, kind of Louisiana and the swamps, which is a pretty cool, like, setting, I think, and has some cool set pieces, like his his coffin coming out of a swamp for some reason. Uh, and it's a good one. I like it. Uh, it kind of presents... Uh, kind of presents his character as, like, somewhat... Um, uh, somewhat uh, sympathetic, but not entirely sympathetic, so... Uh, but I think it's a good one. It's been a while since I watched it last, but I always liked that one. It's one of my dad's favorites. I think because he just liked Don Cheney Jr. quite a bit. Um, Alright, let's go get uh, Frankenstein real quick. And then we can get into the uh, crossover ones. Frankenstein, we got... Uh, right, I already mentioned Bride of Frankenstein, which came out in 1935. Uh, you got The Son of Frankenstein which I believe stars Basil Rathbone. And uh, he play, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. He plays the son of Frankenstein. Uh, he brings uh, the, the, the monster back to life. Uh, I believe it was again played with by Boris Karloff, I think, for the last time. And um, if, I don't, if I remember correctly. And um, uh, this one I really haven't seen in a while, so I can't quite remember it. Uh, but uh, I think I remember it being pretty good. It was a little bit longer 
I believe, than some of the other ones. Yeah, it was like hour 40 minutes. I think it's probably one of the longest Universal Horror movies. And uh, I do remember it maybe being a little too long the last time I watched it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it literally is the longest Universal Horror movie. I, can't, I don't think anything else is as long as that one. So, but uh, yeah, maybe one I need to revisit myself. And then we got uh, Ghost of Frankenstein, which uh, I don't remember too good. Uh, I believe in Son of Frankenstein, you had Bella Lugosi playing like, uh, was it, I don't, I don't remember his name. I don't think it was Igor, but it was like, he was like that sidekick character, you know, that that they that they based um, the character in uh, um, Young Frankenstein off of. Um, and then Ghost of Frankenstein, in the end, he becomes the uh, the monster. Like his his uh, brain is put into the monster. So Boris Karloff, uh, I mean Bela Lugosi, got to play uh, Franken uh, Franken the monster in that one, I believe. Uh, but yeah, and then as far as Frankenstein and Dracula goes, and the Wolfman as well, you ended up with the. House of Frankenstein in 1944, and then the House of Dracula in 1945. Um, you also had Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in 1943, which I believe that was the first of the kind of meet-up, team-up movies. Um, and that one I remember liking pretty good. And yeah, you have, uh, I believe, the Wolfman, Lon Janey, is alive for some reason. I don't remember why, and he's like trying to get cured this was like a running theme and whenever you had the wolf man he was trying to get cured um and uh yeah i believe it ends with a little battle between the monster and uh and um and the wolf man and i don't remember if bell Lugosi played i think bell Lugosi played frankenstein monster in this one and then he was replaced by glenn strange after that, but I'm not 100% sure. Don't quote me on that. Uh, I remember the end of it, blow, everything blows up or something. And then, um, to be honest, House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein, I don't really remember very good. They had John Carradine playing, um, uh, yeah, John Carradine, uh, David Carradine's father, it was playing uh, Dracula. Um, I believe he gets cured of vampirism on one of them. Um, but yeah, I don't really remember those ones, so sorry. Uh, I do need to revisit the, the House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula. But you know, these are like the team-up ones. You got the, I think those two, you got like uh, a bunch of these things. You got like the werewolf, you got Frankenstein, you got Dracula. They're all in one movie, man. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what... Like, I think you could see the direct line in those movies to uh, Abbott and Costello meet the mummy and then Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein because Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein yet again. I think it came out around the same time. Um, you had the same thing where Abbott and Costello uh, end up going toe-to-toe with, Frank and, with uh, Dracula who is trying to basically use... Uh, the Frankenstein monster to do whatever it was he was going to do. And you also had the Wolfman with Larry Talbot in there, who was kind of, I think, on the side of Abbott and Costello. So, uh, yeah. 
and uh, you could see too, like with these movies, um, that uh, they were all during the uh, Second World War, and so that the Second World War kind of, um, I think, helped the uh, that was like the second wind of the Universal movies. Because most of the original set was like from 1931 to 36, but then they kept having reissues, and um, and in those reissues, uh, you know, they kept getting more and more uh, people watching them or whatever, and uh, then um, then I think in the 40s, you had uh, you had um, kind of during the war. They had a second run of these movies, uh, which I think started with The Wolfman. Uh, but, I mean, some of them, like, I think it might have been Frankenstein meets The Wolfman. Okay, no. no, it was The Wolfman. Wolfman, and then Frankenstein meets The Wolfman, and then The House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein, kind of all fed into each other, I do believe. Um, yeah. And the link was like Son of Frankenstein, which was the last one in the 30s. Um, the Mummy, again, you have the same type of thing. The Mummy's movies did not come out until 1940, so they were all of the Mummy sequels were all almost 10 years later. Um, they were all during the war, so I think the thing about the war era, uh, the Second World War era, Universal movies as opposed to the ones from the 30s was mostly that I feel like the ones from the 40s um, were a little bit more fun, you know. Uh, like with the exception of Wolfman, they were all, you know, they weren't quite as, as, as dark as the original run, which makes sense because these movies were going out to the troops and stuff probably, you know. But uh, the this is best encapsulated by the Mummy sequels. Which, uh, the best one, the only good one is The Mummy's Hand from 1940. And The Mummy's Hand, uh, was, uh, kind of like, uh, instead of a horror, it was like an adventure horror, essentially. You have, and it was more of The Mummy's Hand that they based that mummy movie with Brendan Fraser off of in the 90s. So, you know, you have these kind of uh, adventure-type people who are going out, archaeologists who are trying to find this tomb that, you know, they have like a map to or whatever, and it's being protected by this group who wants to keep people away from this tent, this tomb, or, you know, they're protecting like the certain tombs or whatever in ancient Egypt, in Egypt I mean, and they use uh, the mummy Caris, I think is his name, uh, to try to uh, stop these uh, kind of infidel uh, American and British uh, archaeologists from finding this tomb. So that's kind of the uh, the plot line um, of The Mummy's Hand. And uh, But I like The Mummy's Hand. I think it's a good one. And then there's also The Mummy's Tomb, The Mummy's Ghost, and The Mummy's Curse. And uh, I believe each one gets a little bit worse. Uh, like I said, a few years ago, I watched all of them, but they kind of run into my mind. Um, and uh, I, I can't remember which one, if they, it's the Mummy's Tomb or the Mummy's Ghost, where they um, come to America. And uh, the Mummy's really particularly not very frightening. 
in America. Uh, and that one's really bad. Not a good movie. So I, I have to say that the movie movies are kind of fun. You know, I have a collection. Watch them. But uh, really the first two mummy movies are the best. Um, and also, I, I forgot, in 1946, there was She-Wolf of London, which I do not remember. I need to watch that one. <laughs> the uh, I actually have it on my DVD thing, and I don't know if I've ever... I, I might have watched it once. Don't remember it very good. But, uh, yeah, there's those ones. And then, of course, you got The Invisible Man, uh, which I do not own, uh, which is a good one. I believe there were sequels of that as well. Um, and uh, Creature of the Black Lagoon, which, again, is uh, one that I know is a lot of people's favorites. You know, obviously, you got people like Guillermo del Toro doing his Shape of Water movie with, uh, you know, fish sex and stuff, but uh, never really was my thing too much. I mean, I watched the, the Creature of the Black Lagoon, but... uh. Uh, yeah, it wasn't really like my favorite one, but uh, I think it, I think it's still cool. I think I like it more as an adult, and that's probably partially because I got into Lovecraft, and of course, there's an element to it that reminds me of Lovecraft. So, and the uh, fish people from The Shadow of Rinsmith. So, I think maybe uh, in retrospect, I like that one more uh, now as an adult because of that reason, but. Uh, was not one of my childhood favorites, we'll say that. Um, one that I remember seeing as a kid that I did not understand uh, at all, but uh, upon seeing it as an adult, the, the, the black cat, I guess, which I mentioned earlier. And this one um, stars uh, Boris Karloff and, uh, and Bella Lugosi, and um, they're kind of adversaries in this movie. And there's really, one thing I need to say about the Black Cat is there's really no other movie in the, in the Universal catalog that is in any way similar to it. And one of my biggest, one of the big things about revisiting it as an adult that uh, I found really quite fascinating um, was ties into... Um, reading uh, the Fraternity Fraternitas Saturni um, by Stephen Flowers. And in that, he talks about the uh, Brotherhood of Saturn, uh, which um, was a, an occult organization. Uh, I believe it still is, but it was formed, uh, I believe, in uh, the 10, 1910s or the 1920s by uh, Gregor Gregorius, I believe. And uh, the FR was a um, a secret, uh, you know, occult organization that spe- that focused on the idea of Saturnian magic. They did accept the the law of Thelema, um, and be, you know they were kind of a break off of the OTO in a lot of ways. They had the same kind of Masonic OTO type of organization. Um, but the thing about the FR is that a lot of people involved with it, like uh, Alvin Grau, for example, who created the uh, Masferatu uh, um, shape, and Alvin Grau also created the, uh, they have like a kind of Aragor for the group called Gotos, 
and they, they created like a kind of bust of Gotos. Um, and that bust looks very similar to Nosferatu to Count Warlock as, you know, Max Shrek as Count Warlock. Um, but the, uh, the aforementioned cinematographer of, uh, Dracula, who is the director of Black Cat, was, uh, I do believe a, uh, member of the FR, if I remember correctly. But either way, he was obviously aware of it because, um... In the black cat, there's a black mass. And uh, the temple of this black mass is very much uh, uh, the kind of idea of this modern magic of the F- of the Fraternities Saturni. And so it's just very, it's this very interesting kind of expressionist uh, satanic temple that you see, or Saturnian temple in uh, The Black Cat, which is amazing. It's an amazing set. It's amazing you have this idea of a, uh, a black mask going on, you know, and uh, the kind of vestments that they're wearing were very similar to the FR. Um, so there's this whole element of that underlying The Black Cat, which is amazing. As long as, And the story itself is very fascinating um, and uh, relates a lot to uh, the First World War. And overall, it just feels like the Black Cat is a like German expressionist movie made in Hollywood with sound. It's basically what it is, and I think that's the thing that I love about the Universal horror movies was that because so many of these same guys uh, who are involved with the creation of German expressionism, you know, uh, came to Hollywood. Uh, particularly as the rise of of Nazism went on, a lot of these guys were trying to escape Germany. You know, either they were Jews or also you just had the whole factor of the degenerate art, um, you know, so-called the the Entartet Kunst that um, the Nazis, you know, they didn't like this kind of stuff. They hated expressionism expressionist cinema or you know they proposed that they hated it although i think some of the uh, guys and nazis were still fans of it even though they weren't supposed to be you know the same way that that uh um that they liked you know things like uh what's his name um uh certain certain writers and stuff like that 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 the they weren't supposed to like, but they did. Or, you know, how they went to the Grand Guggenhall and Paris and stuff. But regardless, a lot of these um, amazing, you know, filmmakers had to escape from Hollywood uh, to Hollywood or, you know, to get out of Germany because, you know, they were part of that, those kinds of groups of people that Nazis were uh, were sending to concentration camps and stuff. And, uh, you know, and that includes people also involved with groups like the Fraternitas Saturni. I believe the uh, main man in that ends up spending time in the concentration camp. You know, the uh, the Nazis closed down, like, cracked down on all these secret societies and things like this. Uh, including groups that were friendly to them, um... And uh, I believe they did that because they didn't want these secret societies organized behind where because they knew that that could be a 
tool for their destruction, right? But, um, you know, a, a lot of these guys who are involved with, uh, with, um, expressionist cinema, you know, went to, uh, went over to Hollywood and started filming there. And, um, and so you got this influx in the thirties, um, into the forties of all these great filmmakers bringing the style. And of course that's what helped create the whole, uh, film noir as well. There's a very close tie from film noir and, uh, and the universal horror and all these types of things. Um, and I believe that, uh, Another one that was made uh, was The Murders in the Rue Morgue, um, which was a great movie starring Bella Lugosi. And uh, I, didn't, I don't remember if it had as much to do with the original story as, uh, as so much. But, I mean, it kind of tied in the original story. But it was a beautiful movie. Uh yeah, let's see. Uh, Edgar G. Omer was the uh, the guy who did the Black Cat, and I'm remembering. Okay, yeah, I do believe that uh, that yeah, he's from Hungary. He worked with F. W. Murnau and these guys. He was not the one who I I messed up. So he wasn't the guy who did um, the cinematography on Dracula. That was the guy who directed Murders in the Rue Morgue. And uh, let's see. Let's look up his name. Because I don't want to be saying stuff that's not true. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue. 1932 film. It was directed by uh, Robert Flory. And I believe Robert Flory... Uh, let's see. Might be wrong with that too. I'm like messing up. Where's Renew Morgue? Okay, Forey. Let's see what it is. Forey was a. Oh, he was supposed to do Frankenstein. That's what it was. Uh, but he uh, instead of doing that, he got the Murders of Renew Morgue. Uh, with the help of cinematographer Carl Frey, Frey, Freyund, who is the cinematography of Dracula. So that's where I'm getting confused. So he did work on both of those. Um, the uh, Let's see, let's see. Just want to make sure that we got all this stuff together. Yeah, Carl Freyund was the creator of the Unchained Camera, which is something that he created in his work in the German Expressionist. He worked with, uh, he did the film The Gollum. He worked uh, Metropolis and other films of Fritz Lang. And then uh, he came to America and he filmed Dracula and Murders in a Rue Morgue, an amazing cinematographer. So yeah, sorry about the confusion there. But the Black Cat, the uh, the guy who directed that was was actually somebody who worked in with uh, people like Murnau, for example, and I think was very familiar with the FR. So, anyways, Black Cat's a great one. Um, I believe they had some other ones that I don't remember so good, like the Raven and stuff, which I believe had uh, 
Peter Worre and and um yeah so I think the thing with Universal movies like I said I love the German expressionist element of them and the whole vibe and feeling and I do have that kind of um, sentimental attachment as well obviously from watching them when I was a kid but I think that the Universal movies are genuinely great movies and I think they hold up personally but I'm I also might be a little bit uh, I like old movies and uh, I mean I'm the type of person who likes to watch like uh, old um, silent films you know like I genuinely love to sit and watch like Nosferatu and, and all these types of movies uh, I love German expressionist cinema uh, and uh, so and I love early uh i love this cinema from the, the 30s and the 40s i love film noir i love all these horror movies and um i just think there's something so beautiful about the way they're filmed i love black and white i love the shadows and the way that they use light and um i just think it's amazing and uh i can watch sit and watch these movies and and get sucked in and uh i just think about how important they are as well. I mean, when they were film shown on TV in the 50s, which is how my dad was introduced to them, and so many other kids, like the whole Monster Kids generation, you know, of the uh, the kids born in the 40s, you know, and they saw, saw all these movies in the 50s, you know, and it's just like uh, so important, you know, and helped to form so much of what we know today in horror cinema, cinema as a whole. And um, I just think that there's something essential for them. And for me, they are essential Halloween viewing. And uh, I don't think that they uh, get better. Uh, you know, they're just great movies. I think the thing is that, obviously, like I was saying, uh, there is a kind of uh, reducing uh, as they go on. I don't think that with the exception of the Wolfman um, and some of the, you know, I think like Wolfman, he's Frankenstein is good and stuff, but a lot of the 40s ones were a little bit hit or miss. Um, but, you know, what's nice is that uh, if you don't watch them for a while, it's good to go back and revisit. And then, uh, I think this, this in the next week, I'm going to try to go back and watch some of those ones that I that I couldn't quite remember for this episode, like the House of Frankenstein, the House of Dracula, and uh, uh, since I don't remember them that good, it'll be like watching them all over again for the first time, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to talk about these movies and the the importance that they have for me, and I don't want to uh, stress people should go and check them out, and I mean. And get sucked in to the atmosphere of these these amazing gothic feelings. I mean, I think that's the thing is that these world it creates a world that you can get into. Like even with the artifice, like when I watched Dracula just now, it's like even with the artifice of like the painted backgrounds and the stuff. But when you see like the set, it really creates this this world that you can you feel like you could just step into, and uh, it's beautiful and and inspiring and just like magnificent you know that's how i feel about these movies like i would love to 
walk into a reality that looks like uh, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, you know, with like the the gothic cemetery, with like the the crooked angels and the the gallows and everything. <clears throat> I love that. And or you know these these ancient like crypts and catacombs and everything like that. And you know, I mean, being a obviously a huge fan of black metal and doom metal and all these types of things like like you uh, European doom, you know, like it ties into you know you feel this energy from from these movies that ties into the types of uh, feeling you get from uh, from different types of black metal and doom metal and or uh, goth music and stuff like that. So you, I, I remember when I first heard like. Um, you know, Bauhaus and uh, and all this types of stuff, or saw like the Damned with Dave Vanian, you know, like uh, I was just so struck by this, or you know, listening to the Misfits and uh, or the Christian Death and all this types of stuff, like um, really, it just brings to mind these movies because we're all uh, influenced by these movies and inspired by them and, and the energy that they have, you know, and I think there's that, that underlying shared cultural element that you get with the universal movies. <clears throat> and, uh, and yeah, when you watch them, you can really get sucked into this world, which I think is amazing. And, uh, I highly recommend everyone to go check them out and, and, uh, give it a listen or give it a watch. I mean, like, you know, Join me in my uh, in my uh, Halloween um, tradition, and you know, go and watch these uh, beautiful movies. You know, but uh, I'm gonna go ahead and close out this episode now, and I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, sorry if it's kind of a ramble, and <coughs> I was like fact checking myself in the middle of it, <laughs> but I just wanted to completely like be uh telling lies you know i got uh, some things confused here and there but overall you know going from memory for the most part from watching hours and hours of documentaries like on these dvds i have the david j skull did uh these amazing documentaries about the history of these movies and uh I definitely, if you are more interested in getting more information about all this stuff, like what I was talking about, be it like the universal movies or even the crossover into the culture of like gothic, goth culture and all those kinds of stuff, I recommend uh, going and picking up The Monster Show by David J. Skull. It's a fucking amazing book, very inspiring one. And uh, I love his, his writings. I love hearing him talk about these movies. Um... He also has uh, a few other books like uh, Death Becomes a Holiday, which is about Halloween, which is an amazing book as well. So definitely go check those out if you want some kind of further information about these and, you know, get the DVDs and or the Blu-rays and watch the, the extras and stuff, you know. So I was kind of going off of as much of my memory as I could. I obviously didn't have time to watch like every single one of these movies, so... Uh, but, you know, I've seen, even the ones that I couldn't quite remember, I've seen them all a bunch of times, you know. Maybe some less than others. Dracula and Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Mummy. Those are the ones that I've watched the most times out of all of them. Because uh, I pretty much watch all of those almost every year. So, 
there you go. So go ahead and check this out. Um, hope you guys enjoyed. I'm going to close out the night with, um, speaking of black metal that feels like this, we're going to close out with uh, Mutilation uh, with Magical Shadows of a Tragic Past off of their classic album, Vampires of Black Imperial Blood. Thank you for listening. Hail Satan. Thank <laughs> you.